You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. The last time we were in the book of James, James spoke to us about true and living faith. Faith without works, James declared, is dead, useless. Now, just in case you missed Drew's excellent sermon last week, James wasn't telling us we need to work to somehow earn or prove our faith in God. No, James was stressing because of the faith God has in us. Out of the faith we have been given through the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ, works, good works, should naturally flow. If Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, then abiding in him, The fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, fruit born of the seed of our relationship with Jesus, is produced. The works that we do, what comes out of us, reveal our faith is from Christ. It's in Jesus rather than in ourselves. James now begins to apply this principle as he addresses the fruit of our lips, of our tongue, of our words. Words. They have a way of escaping out of our mouths before we even think through or fully realize what we're saying, especially when we're children. When I was a kid, sometimes the words that came out of my mouth weren't always kind or appropriate. Sometimes they were downright filthy. And whenever that happened, my mom always had the same remedy. Maybe your parent did too. That's right, washing my mouth out with soap. (laughs) To this day, I still have a guttural reaction to the smell of ivory soap from all the times the bar of it was ground on my teeth and melted onto my tongue. In a way, With today's passage, James is about to wash our mouth out too. Not with soap, but with something a whole lot stronger and more purifying. Much like my childhood experience, perhaps yours, what's about to follow isn't always going to be pleasant or easy. But unlike using soap, James won't leave us with a bad taste in our mouths. If we let him, James is going to radically change how we speak for the better. So here's our passage today from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Hi, Grace. Today's reading is from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of inequity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. 
Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring can yield both salt and water, both salt water and fresh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At first, James seems to be talking exclusively to teachers, as he seemingly discourages most of us from taking up this profession. But let's not be confused. For while it's clear, James begins by speaking directly to those, like himself, who have taken up the sacred calling of being a teacher, his focus in this passage still remains on all followers of Jesus. Because here's the thing, all Christians are teachers. All Christians are teachers because in following Jesus, we are called to make disciples. We all bear the responsibility for expressing the truth of the gospel and the character of Christ to others. Whether our lessons are specifically taught or caught through what others observe in terms of what we say and do, each of us is every day instructing those around us about what we believe and how we engage this world. More significantly, by identifying ourselves as Christians, we are in essence declaring whatever we say and do is a reflection of the one whom we follow in Jesus Christ. Therefore, the higher standard of judgment James invokes here is not only a warning for those who go into the profession of teaching, it's a challenge for all of us who speak and act in the name of Jesus not to abuse the power and authority we've been given in what we say, in what our lives express to others. James quickly expands from the specific matter of teaching to focusing on the influence of our words in daily conversations. And if we're still a bit anxious after James's rather stern admonition about teaching, he gives us a momentary breather as he acknowledges we all stumble in many ways. Nobody's perfect when it comes to what comes out of their mouths. We all say things we shouldn't say, we don't mean to say, sometimes. James declares anyone who never stumbles, who's never at fault in what they say, is perfect. Or a better translation of the word he uses here would be mature. So here's a bit of encouragement before we go on. And this is something we'll keep coming back to with this passage. While the promise of the gospel is perfection, that we will eventually be made perfect in Christ, our goal is not perfection. That's beyond our ability. Our goal through abiding in the word and the spirit is progress, continuing to mature in Christ. And one reflection of our developing maturity is learning to use our words wisely. We are works in progress, and one of the signs of our progress, our emerging fruitfulness thanks to God's grace, is the control of our tongues. The more we learn to control our tongues, James insists, the more we are able to keep the rest of ourselves in check, aligned with the work Jesus is doing in and through us. And so James begins to use the tongue as a metaphor for the power and potential of human speech. He offers us a series of word pictures. Have we noticed yet how much James likes word pictures? Anyway, James provides a series of vivid images to underscore his point that the tongue has an influence greatly disproportional to its size, that what we say has an undervalued impact to affect not only our lives, but the lives of others. The first word picture is that of guiding a horse with a bit or a bridle, and it's the most simple and straightforward. A bit is a guide, an implement which incidentally functions by pressing against the animal's tongue. It's a small instrument, especially when compared to the size and power of a horse. However, with the bit in the horse's mouth, the rider directs the strength, the speed, the direction of a horse much larger than himself or herself. And James is saying in the same way, controlling our tongues can direct the course of our lives. As James shifts word pictures from a bit in a horse's mouth to the rudder of a ship, he's basically making the same point, 
The tongue, though small, steers which way we go in life. However, with this second word picture, James does introduce some new things to consider. The presence of outside forces. If we picture a ship on the water, two major challenges come to mind when we think about navigating that vessel. The ship, no matter how big, without a rudder, finds itself at the mercy of both the winds and the waves. However, with the addition of such a comparatively small instrument, a ship's captain can steer both the movement and direction of the ship, ultimately being able to guide that vessel wherever he or she desires to go, despite the wind and the waves. Likewise, James is suggesting that those who control the tongue can weather the effects of opposing forces in difficult circumstances and emerge intact and on course in the direction God intends for our lives. Now, with the third word picture he offers, James shifts gears in a way. He moves from invoking the incredible potential of the tongue, of human speech, to asking us to perceive its destructive power, having the ability with just a small spark to set a great forest on fire. And this particular image, of course, hits close to home for us right now. We don't have to imagine what James is picturing, for we have been daily and repeatedly seeing the tragic image of such a growing threat and widespread devastation as we watch the fires rage here in California and now into Oregon and Washington. James gives us this image and then he subtly shifts from talking about the tongue and human speech being like a fire to coming right out and declaring the tongue to be a fire. But he doesn't stop there. James goes on a brief tear, providing a terrifying litany against the destructive potential of the tongue. He calls the tongue a world of evil, accusing the tongue of corrupting the whole body. According to James, the tongue sets the whole course of one's life on fire. At least, that's what the English translation for verse 6 says. But in the literal translation of what James says here in verse 6, it's far more corporate than individualistic. James is arguing unrestrained and careless talk disrupts not just the course of our lives, but the balance of the entire created order. And human history verifies the accuracy of James's assessment. I mean, kingdoms have risen and fallen. Houses and families have become united or divided. Relationships have been either deeply forged or irrevocably severed based on a great fire of words that started with the spark of the tongue. James goes on to say that the heat and flame of such incendiary talk finds its source in the fires of hell. The word that James uses here for hell is Gehenna, and it's actually another word picture referencing an actual place, the Valley of Hinnom, located south of Jerusalem. This valley in James's time had become Jerusalem's trash dump, a place for garbage to be deposited and burned. This location that smoldered constantly, fed by the city's refuse, is what Jesus pointed to for us when we want to visualize the schemes of the devil and those who follow Satan. And now, Jesus' younger brother James points to this hell, stinking, burning trash, as the source, the place, the spirit from which all fiery and raging words of dissension, strife, anger, bitterness, envy, and other social ills emerge. It's hard not to miss how James seems to be shifting in his portrayal of human speech. Where he before spoke of the tongue as being like a useful tool, now he appears to categorize the human tongue as a dangerous weapon, a weapon that almost seems to have a life of its own, independent of its possessor. As James remarks about humanity's dominion over the animal kingdom, our ability to domesticate the vast and wide array of creatures of this earth, he quickly adds, it's not so with our tongues. Despite our parents telling us, watch your mouth, think before you speak, James states no human being 
can actually hold their tongue. No. James persists, the tongue is uncontrolled and uncontrollable. It is, he says, a restless evil, full of deadly poison. We need to pause and step back for a moment. So many questions at this point come to mind, at least for me. I mean, given that all James has shared, considering the magnitude of the power of human speech, I mean, shouldn't we just all cut out our tongues or at the very least take a perpetual vow of silence? And why? Why is the tongue like this? Why? Why would God give us such a dangerous weapon? Beloved, the tongue isn't inherently evil. And our tongue, our speech, isn't by design a weapon. James' negativity to this point is not pessimism. James is trying to create a sense of urgency and thus grab our attention. And let's be clear about something. James isn't telling us not to speak. James is calling us to be mindful about what we're saying. Gossip, slander, rumors, innuendo, lying, put-downs, curses. And then, of course, there's all we communicate via our silence through words unspoken, denial, indifference, rejection, ignorance, shunning, ghosting, gaslighting. We've all been either on the giving or the receiving end of weaponized words. I mentioned earlier in this sermon series that James pulls a ton from the book of Proverbs. And if you haven't read it recently, Proverbs has much to say about the hazard and folly of this kind of talk, of weaponizing our words. My friends, our tongues only become weapons when we weaponize our speech, when we are careless and not conscious of the potential of our words to harm and to destroy. God gave us a voice. He gave us a voice because he intended for us to use it. But as James goes on, moving from a council of despair to a rallying cry of encouragement, God intends for our words to be used for his praise. In fact, this is the highest and most noble use of human speech, to praise our creator, the sustainer of all life, and in Christ, the redeemer of our lives from sin and death. However, such glory is given to God not just by the words we lift up to him through a song or a prayer, but through the words we extend to encourage and build up each other. That's why James challenges us to take stock at how easily and how often out of the same mouth we use to praise the Lord, we curse and harm those who, like us, are made in the image of God. And it's important we understand what the Bible means by cursing. The biblical understanding of cursing is much more than throwing around some harsh or abusive language. Biblically, to curse another person is to call upon God to cut off a person from any blessing, to consign that person to damnation. The irony in cursing another person is that we're really speaking evil of the God who created that person since all humanity is made in God's likeness. So let's keep that in mind the next time we're tempted to so casually, so impulsively drop that F-bomb in the direction of another person, someone who cuts us off in traffic, or someone who upsets us with their social media post. And for those of us out there who never use the curse words when expressing our anger or frustration toward another person, you know who you are. You're clever, right? You just come up with words that sound like those curse words, but aren't the real ones. Just keep in mind, cursing is as much about the intent as it is about the actual words used. Just saying. James is emphatic here, people. The words of blessing that bind in worship us to our Heavenly Father cannot be divorced from the words we utter day in and day out to one another. While blessing and cursing can come out of the same mouth, 
That is not the way God made us to be in the first place. And more importantly, it's certainly not who we are called to become as those who have been redeemed and set apart in Christ. James reinforces this assertion with two quick illustrations from the consistency of the natural word, world. What comes out of a spring, he says, a spring of water, is what is inside that spring. A spring cannot produce fresh or sweet water and bitter, salty water at the same time. It's impossible. Likewise, James adds, a fig tree cannot produce olives and a grapevine cannot produce figs. In other words, what James is saying through these examples is the double standard and double talk of human speech is not present in other parts of God's creation. Coming back to faith that works, James is saying our mouths are indicative of our fruitfulness, of what is being produced by the seed of faith. The mouth of a redeemed person in Christ should foster health and healing, not destruction and chaos. So in this passage, James is beckoning us to examine ourselves closely specifically to scrutinize both what we are saying and how we are saying it. And we begin by considering what we are teaching others, particularly about what it means to follow Jesus by how we speak both about and to the people around us. Then we continue by thinking through how we talk about and the way we talk in our day-to-day conversations, how that reflects our character, or more pointedly, the character of Christ emerging in us. And inevitably, We have to come around, James says, to evaluating the integrity between the praise we give to God and the manner in which we address and treat others. And as we take stock, let's be exhaustive, okay? Taking into account what we are saying, not only with our tongues, but perhaps with a pen or a keyboard. Let's take into account words, not only that we speak verbally, but those things that we communicate non-verbally through our silence. And yes, digitally through our posts on social media. As we reflect on all forms of our speech, I'll put it this way. Would we kiss our Heavenly Father with that mouth? Would Jesus approve of that message on Facebook? Was that anonymous letter, that aggressive text, or that choice remark driven by the Holy Spirit, or a spirit of another kind? Beloved, talk isn't cheap. Our words may seem small and insignificant, but they have an incredible ability to impact and influence others. With our choice of words, we can encourage or discourage. We can build another person up or we can tear them down. All of us, I know I do, all of us bear either the confidence or the wounds from words spoken over us, words that have come to shape our perception of ourselves, our perception of others, our perception of the world around us. The question is, are they God's words? My friends, the message of the sermon is not watch your mouth, though being mindful about what we say and how we say it wouldn't hurt. Today's takeaway is not for us to wash out our mouths with soap either. Sorry, mom. No, the message is different because cleaning out our mouths with soap is missing the root, the deeper cause of our speech problem. As James has indicated with his last two word pictures, our mouth and our tongue aren't the real source of the problem. James's older stepbrother, Jesus, once identified the real source of our problem this way, when he said in the Gospel of Matthew, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person brings good things out of a good treasure, and the evil person brings evil things out of an evil treasure. 
What comes out of our mouths, in other words, is a reflection of what's in our hearts. And beloved, apart from God, our hearts and our minds are broken. They're conflicted. They're divided. We need a deeper cleanse than a bar of soap can provide. And thankfully, because of Jesus through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have one. But as I mentioned earlier, as James himself acknowledged, even as followers of Jesus, we all stumble. None of us is perfect. We are, again, works in progress. And this means, and this is good news. The whole point of taking stock about our words today is not about fixing ourselves. It's not about cleaning up how we talk by coming up with better language. That's not the takeaway. What I'm saying is, the only way we can learn to control our tongues, the only means we have of gaining the power, as James in the last chapter advised us, to be quick to listen and slow to speak, the only way we get that is through our yielding to the Holy Spirit. Not just our mouths, but our whole person needs to be regularly cleansed and rinsed by the ongoing work of God's Spirit. And this means surrendering control of our thoughts, our emotions, and our will. We don't need to figure out how to come up with a better way of talking. We don't need to invent a new language. We need to learn how to speak from our native tongue, the language of our faith, the Word of God. What we say, how we speak, is to come from the Word of God. The Word of God is to form and shape our words. The Holy Spirit is our tutor, teaching us, reminding us, and guiding us how to speak the vocabulary and the grammar of the kingdom of God, of the character of Christ. And my friends, this is why we immerse ourselves in God's word, listening carefully, not casually, studying and discussing it regularly, not treating God's word like a Google search when we need a quick explanation or a verse for the moment. When we treat God's word differently, when we treat God's word like that, we end up twisting and turning God's word into what we want it to say rather than hearing what it actually says. But if we daily yield to the leading of the Spirit, if we regularly commit to being in God's word, meditating on it, memorizing it, internalizing it, repeating God's word rather than our own words, then what we say and how we say it will become by the grace of God words of praise and thanksgiving to God and to others. Words that heal, comfort and encourage. Words that are beautiful to hear and receive. Words that give glory to God as they become tangible actions for good. Acts of justice, mercy and love on behalf of each other. Many of us I know have been taught, you know, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything. But beloved, as followers of Jesus, we have the gospel. We have good news to share, the word that brings freedom, the word that gives life, and therefore we cannot remain silent. We just need to be sure we're sending the right message. When God speaks, God creates. God creates new life, new possibilities. God's perfect word blesses. It does not curse. God's word forgives. It reconciles. It redeems our imperfect words. Both the words we've spoken to others and the words we've heard spoken over us. We've all been burned. We've all been burned by the insults inflicted upon us by others. We've all been wounded by lies 
the failures of broken promises, but we can be healed, resurrected even by the truth of God's word, the unfailing ever kept promises of the gospel, of the word that redeems and restores, the word that forgives, the word that brings life out of death. We worship the God who always gets the last word and that last word is grace. It is forgiveness. It is salvation. It is hope. Our responsibility, our privilege, is to speak that word, the truth of that word, the word of God, to speak the truth of that word in love, graciously to others. Therefore, let us use the voices that God has given us to speak his word of promise to one another. Let us begin, led by the Spirit, with what we say, and then, relying on the work of this same Spirit, let us reveal the truth of the word of God by making what we say in the name of Jesus a reality through what we do, the fruit of how we live, of how we act, of how we respond, and how we engage this world together. Amen.